0: The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Vector Communications,
1: data networks built for business. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 218. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Steve Sims. Hey, thank you, Steve, for coming back
0: on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. It's been a little while. It's a pleasure, as always. 218
1: podcasts so far. Wow. It's greying my hair. <laughs> no, I love it. It's a, always good fun, and it's a great uh, great chance for me always to catch up with friends. So good to see you again. Now, for those that don't know where you fit into the technology and communications world in New Zealand. Oh, gosh, I've been floating around in it now for well over 25 years, but i
0: um, been running a business in the last nine years called Tommy Zone, which is a Wi-Fi provider across many lands. So, yeah, been around for a while in the wireless space, I guess you'd say. Excellent.
1: Well, we'll hopefully come back and have a little bit more of a chat about what's happening in the world of Tommy's own a little bit later. But let's jump into our topics to start with. Now, a product that we looked at when it first launched a couple of years ago was Logitech. They bought out the Ultimate Ears brand and started launching some consumer products under that brand. One of those devices was the UE Boom. They seem to sell them in the absolute truckloads through all the local electronics stores. But what they launched recently was the UE Mega Boom, which was the bigger version of their sort of tube-looking portable Bluetooth speaker. And uh, You can use it for a uh, as a speakerphone as well, but it's really designed so you can sort of take the party with you, as it were. So, uh, so the mega boom, it's not a Kim.com rip-off, is it? <laughs> well, I'm not sure if he's got shares in Logitech or not. He has um, or fingers if they have in many shares pace, in him. many yeah. pace. <laughs> but, yeah, we've landed this one, and we had the two of them sitting next to each other uh, before, and although it's only, it looks as though it's only uh, maybe 15 to 20% longer, it looks a whole lot bigger and beefier, doesn't it?
0: Well, if you've got one of those pencil cases at school, or, you know, I used to have a pencil case the about the barrel, same size. You know, pencil barrel pencil case. The big barrel pencil case, that's about yeah. the same size. Now, the other one looks like the one that you'd probably use as a drink bottle. So as a comparison, you've got a small drink bottle and a big pencil case. But from what we've seen, they look pretty waterproof. They look like good boat speakers or beach speakers, if you like. Certainly the form factor is one of those things that you don't mind dropping on
1: the ground accidentally. Hopefully it doesn't break, but uh, it looks pretty good. Yeah, so, and now we had a little bit of a listen. You're quite a fan of another portable speaker. Well, I'm I'm
0: a big fan of any sound that's actually got a good range to it. So really good bass fills the room. You can hear the tops quite nicely. The mids sound reasonably good, so everything's crisp. But when you put on a good soundtrack, uh, I usually chuck on some good uh, drum and bass and give it a bash. Yeah. I, I noticed with this one, it was very different to my preferred one, which is the bows. For about the same price, you get a lot, a lot more in terms of bass from the bows. but in saying that this is actually priced for a different segment of the market who are actually going to use this when they're out and about, as opposed to the bows, which you might stick in the corner of your lounge room or your bedroom just for something neat to have. Yeah, I mean
1: it's good. There's actually a heap, a heap of competition within this particular space now. You know, I think the the UE boom really sort of stirred things up and has been the sort of the number one seller, as far as I'm aware. You know, globally in this type of portable Bluetooth speaker. But yeah, I think great to see some competition. And Bose have always had a really premium product in terms sure. of a, a small speaker that delivers sound that you look at it and think, how does that, you know, how does that actually come out of well,
0: yeah, uh, you know, yeah. such a small speaker? They've had the pedigree of science of speakers for, for many, many years. I mean, even back in the 80s, you can remember the tiny little Bose speakers that were being sold for thousands and thousands of dollars, and you wonder where all the money would go. But to be fair, Logitech have also got a pedigree in good consumer electronics. They are really good at what they do. They spend time and money on making it right, and I think that this product here is perfect. For the bash around outdoor speaker, it has what I would believe probably the best sound that you can get for money you can buy for that type of outdoorsy kind of speaker.
1: Yeah, if you need something portable, it works well, and, and we use the original UE Boom at home quite a bit, and it's it's great. You just take it in whatever room you want to uh, want to use it, and away you go. Now the new thing with Mega Boom is it's they're calling it, they're saying it's IPX7 rated from a waterproof perspective. So you know, actually they're saying, hey, yeah, feel free, take it to the beach is, as you said Steve, take it in the shower if you want, so it's even got the little rubber <laughs> bungs to you know to cover off the micro USB port the three and a half mil uh, jack if you actually want to plug it in Magnificent, um, dance party in the shower thats <laughs> something else, but I, I,
0: think, I think the other feature that kind of got me is that you can get a couple of them together and put them on opposite sides of the room and still have it coming out of the one sound source, which I think is quite interesting so pairing them up as a left and right speaker if you like similar to what you've seen from
1: the way that the wireless speakers work with Sonos. So, you know, this is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, they're a good speaker. I was pretty surprised with the sound. I guess, you know, I had, I've had a similar thing with a, a few of the other premium sort of products in this space and around the just the sound when you actually turn it on you know, I had to duck into the other office to make sure there was nobody next door because they wouldn't have been able to hear what they were doing. It actually puts out a pretty beefy sound, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Your neighbours might complain if you're going to use it in a small apartment. Yeah. So three nine nine, I think, is the uh, is the full retail price in New Zealand. Uh, you probably see it round a, a little bit less than that. I know it's been already been advertised probably at the the three fifty type price range. So it's a, it's a bit of a step up on the original UE um, Boom uh, price wise, but. I think it probably makes up for it in that extra sound if that's what you're looking for.
0: Worth getting if you're an outdoorsy kind of person and you want to throw it around, spend that kind of money. If you're going to go and spend that kind of money and you're not going to do that, then my personal preference is a Bose, of course. But but look, there's a lot of choice when you're talking that top dollar now.
1: Hmm. And I guess it depends on the sort of sound that you're, you're looking for the sort of music you listen to. Exactly. So um, most of these stores will let you actually jump in and, uh, and try one out. And at all costs, avoid the things that are sub $200 because they will not last and they sound like rubbish. <laughs> in terms of other products, there's uh, a printer that Epson are launching into the market, which is targeting, of all things, fashion designers I saw this,
0: I was amazed. I thought, this is a pretty cool little thing. You've got printers for canvas, which you bowl on up, and Epsom are obviously right up there with that, and they thought, well, why don't we print clothes and designs? So expect to see a a runway uh, fashion show with...
1: Printed clothes in the future—it's pretty fascinating, isn't it? So they're, they're able to just to take, I guess, take a, a blank piece of cloth and you know print it up with whatever you want on it. So very easily. this
0: is where it gets a little bit tricky.
1: You can't just
0: walk up with any old piece of cloth. It's that gotta is be true. It's got to be synthetic, synthetic doesn't because it? Because it's using dye sublimination, things that we used to use many years ago when we printed phone cards on a bespoke basis. So it has to adhere to a synthetic material. Great for hats, phone. Covers all of those kind of things, but not great if you want to come out with the greatest leather look
1: and have a, you know, a, work, a, a marking it? on it. No, it's not no, going to work. No, no, but the, the, they're a big, big format, yeah, a really large format printer, and you're talking 20,000 US dollars. So you know, for for what it is, it's quite reasonable, but it's not going to be the sort of thing a, a typical hobbyist is going to uh, be setting up in their home. You're not going to have it uh, unless as you have got a lot of thing. space and a lot of a lot of spare cash.
0: I suspect you'll find a couple of these places and shopping malls around the place that might offer to add this as a complimentary
1: service to their canvas printing if they can find the business case to do it. Mm. They're pretty wide, I think, about one and a half metres wide is uh, what they can print on. Yep, uh, the official is 63 inches. 63
0: inches, the yeah. imperial way to go. Yeah.
1: yeah, it looks like a nice product. So. But just don't go and print on silk. It won't work. Not at all. Now, Lenovo have been getting themselves in a bit of trouble, Steve. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so
0: so they, they go and produce this computer, and they inadvertently go and stick Superfish on it, which is... Not exactly the cleverest thing to do. And, and probably someone somewhere was sold this as a great way for a new browsing experience and they could make
1: some extra revenue from ads or whatever. Well, that's what it seems to be, doesn't it? I mean, every time you buy a Windows computer, and this just doesn't happen in the Mac world, Apple have got, you know, they care too much about their brand and about their users. But when you buy a Windows computer, for some reason, Microsoft have not worked out a way unless they sell you the computer you know themselves directly. They've not worked out a way to stop people loading up those computers with what we affectionately call crapware. Crapware—that's uh, a
0: nice, <laughs> nice word for it. I would have—I would have I been
1: kinder. I would have said bloatware that tries
0: to make money. Now, funny enough, these business models came out way back in the old days when Netscape came out, and they would have you browsing you know, like normal, but you'd be redirected to their preferred search provider who would pay them millions of dollars on a monthly basis to do this. So that's how the browser kind of community did it. Fast forward 20-odd years and here we are now and we're looking at a new browsing experience by malware that's been embedded there by your computer manufacturer on purpose so they could go and make an extra dollar a month out of you for as long as that computer's connected to the internet. Now, the consumer reaction is just nuts. Why would you allow that to happen? So, yeah, there are ways to get rid of that. So if you bought a new Lenovo computer, there are a lot of tutorials on learning how to take that off your computer.
1: And I think most of the antivirus products will take that off as well. So worth pointing out that, you know, from as everything that we've read indicates that this is just Lenovo consumer laptops uh, sold towards the end of, uh, of last year, uh, possibly into early uh, uh, January uh, this year. Uh, that may have uh, the Superfish uh, software on it, and 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 what it does is, uh, as well as inserting these ads, it plays around with the security on your computer. So that's nuts. It, 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 that's that's a crazy thing, isn't it? It potentially leaves you at risk if you go to your uh, banking website to do a secure uh, transaction and so on. Uh, it increases the chance that somebody potentially could. Uh, could be watching what password you're typing and well, it uh, replaces you know, your what, what you're doing online. So it's not a, it's not a good thing, <laughs> is it? Once <laughs> I, once I, that's done, it sort of leaves it wide open it. to other uh, you know, security yeah. problems, right? Yeah.
0: But yeah. but this is this is the, the unfortunate thing is that you could be feeling that everything's okay with your Lenovo computer and you've got this green padlock to this particular se- uh, secure site. And, uh, and before you know it, it's actually um, being quietly looked at um, by someone else's certificate.
1: Yeah, far far from ideal. Now, also down the security track, we've heard about some Android malware that can be spying on you after you turn your device off. So maybe you jump on a plane, you're going to travel overseas, and you turn your phone off, and you, and you might actually decide, look, I'm not going to fire it up when I get to the other end. Maybe for you know for for a day until you get your your local sim if you're going on an extended trip, etc. Um well, you might get a bit of a surprise, so um, this particular one they 're calling it the uh, power off hijack, and uh what it does if your uh, if your Android device gets infected uh, is when you hit power off it uh, it pretends to power off your device, but it actually doesn 't
0: it 's um, not as vicious as Ebola uh, however, <laughs> what it is doing with your phone is is quietly leaking data all over the show and uh, um, tricking you into things uh, it, uh, i was actually uh, speaking to you uh, just just prior to the podcast saying that it reminds me of an app that came out when iPhones first came out which was a a bluetooth virus scanner that would pretend to to uh, you know scan for viruses and just have an animated gif on the on the screen yeah it didn't actually do anything at all no it didn't all, do anything it. at all but yeah. but this is this is a similar situation it's masking your phone uh, with a oh the phone is off wonderful um, so it doesn't have one of those. Uh, most Android phones don't have little lights that flash to
1: say that they're still talking, do they? Like the old Blackberries used to. No, I think uh, we might still see that from HTC, but you know, most yeah. a lot of the vendors don't, you know, don't have the the, the flashing LEDs. Yes.
0: Yeah, so if your phone's off and you still got a flashing LED, and it's supposed to flash when it's on, then
1: you've got a problem. Yeah. So well, well worth just just being cautious around your security. Uh, on on Android devices, I you know I think you know, most uh, the the worst security issues with Android tend to be if you're using alternative app stores, you've got a rooted device, um, and for a lot of people those things won't won't be the case. But uh, yes, worth worth keeping a watch on these these sorts of uh, these sorts of issues. It certainly wouldn't be nice if this happened to you and you were travelling and your phone was doing a whole lot of data while you thought it was off. Uh, You know, roaming-wise in in some way. And so friends Uh, let friends know about this stuff. Big Bill, exactly.
0: Tell your friends who've got Android phones that this could be a problem. Watch out.
1: Now, what else have we got? Um, Hacking. We've got news uh, that NSA and GCHQ could be listening in to your mobile calls. What's this all about? Well, okay. So let's just go back and
0: and think about something. For a start, governments have had access to telephone lines and telephone companies ever since they were invented. So legal interception is still allowed with mobile carriers and fixed line carriers. It doesn't matter. So they can still walk in the front door to AT&T or to Spark or to anyone else and say, we want to listen to Paul Spain's phone conversations under this order, blah, blah, blah.
1: I'm not sure they would they would get away with it in my case well I'm not far in your too case. squeaky
0: clear. Yeah, yeah well that's that's right I mean you know I'm just saying let's say evil poor <laughs> so, <laughs> so they actually can get jurisdiction to go and do that yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's already there okay mm. this is different this is where I believe that they've gone and proven a point that um, that SIM cards can be hacked. they've gone into the manufacturer and stolen the encryption out of their factory so to speak and they're using it back against them. Um, and so I'm, I'm not sure about this. Is this a "told you so" scenario, or is this a hmm um, something else nefarious is happening with it?
1: Well, it depends. It depends how it's being utilised, and yeah, you know, because we're talking about it being used by uh, you know, government spy agencies, you would tend to think they have to operate within some rules. Based on you know what's happened in New Zealand in recent times, though. Um, you can't be sure that they're going to get it right all the time. So, as you were saying about going out and getting a warrant to, you know, to listen in on my phone calls, um, you would imagine uh, that they would need to do the same to actually take advantage of this technology. So, there would have to be some sort of you know, legal backing that allows them to to use it. But it it is bizarre that they could uh, they could go and and really, uh, you know, steal the uh, the encryption. Data uh, from the manufacturer of the uh, of the SIM cards. Well, how how
0: would they do that in the modern world where you salt that kind of data and do everything else? But uh, I guess I, I don't know. We could we could both be sitting here actually done by the best PR scam on the planet by that same company that actually. Oops, we lost them. Um, so who knows? Uh, <laughs> uh, but look, it's it it, it was um, reported wildly over the weekend, and mm-hmm. uh, and here we are talking about it. So. It's yeah. either a great PR stunt or it's a real thing that's really happened.
1: Well, yeah, Jamalto is the uh, is the manufacturer in question, and yeah, uh, you know, what what's been said is that a that a group of agents from the NSA and Britain's um, government communications headquarters, uh, yeah, kicked off the cyber attack and uh, you know basically got in there and, and found these these keys, and uh, well, it's. Um, It's crazy that this sort of stuff happens, but I guess uh, we're probably not too surprised, are we? (laughs) Well,
0: watch out for the next Blacklist episode where this will be revealed.
1: (laughs) Now, okay, so lots going on in the security world, but there is some other stuff going on in in the tech world. Uh, Now, jumping back to to New Zealand, a couple of things. Now, first up, BlackBerry have... uh, and this isn't just in New Zealand This has uh, happened around the world They have uh, Well it sort of looks like they've launched the old BlackBerry The uh, the BlackBerry Classic Has uh, has landed And it's on the market here uh, They've launched it in conjunction with Vodafone The, uh, the BlackBerry Classic for uh, $649
0: Well it's quite appropriate That you started this particular segment With uh, jumping back Because it certainly is jumping back to the past And uh, I think that surely using the current technology that you've got in there with the new chipsets and new screen resolutions and things like that, people that do like a tactile keyboard and don't really want a smartphone um, but just want something that's kind of semi-smart with that keyboard on it, this is the thing you should go for.
1: Yeah, so I've, I've been using it over the last few days. It's um, you know, In terms of the apps that are on it, if you're using the the, the built-in uh, Apps, you know, you've got a lot of the, the common sort of social networking tools like Twitter and uh, LinkedIn. There's Evernote on there. I've uh, got a password uh, keeper, you know, Dropbox, Adobe Reader, YouTube. So yeah, a whole whole bunch of stuff um, is there. Where I where I got caught short was when I jumped in uh, to to BlackBerry World and started looking for specific apps. And yeah, they've certainly got. Uh, the the smaller app store when we you know compare them to everything else by a by a long shot can it's you get just... an Uber um, that's a good question I think I did look for Uber and I'm now trying to remind myself whether I had any luck I.
0: Uh, that, that was one thing that a, a bit of feedback from BlackBerry users said that they can't can't order an Uber from it. So yeah, yeah,
1: no, that was that was one of the first apps that I checked. Actually, I've just done it again. It was in the in the list, and no, so you can't you can't get um, the Uber app. That said, Uber has a good uh, web uh, app, so you can always use the built in uh, built in sure. browser and i would imagine that that will uh that that will work reasonably okay but yeah if you haven't used blackberry for a while uh or you're new to blackberry then uh, you know swiping and getting around it can uh, can take a little while to get used to uh you swipe up from the bottom to uh uh to minimize your apps and you can swipe uh down from the top as you do in, in android and others for uh, for for varying settings um but yeah it's Mm, it's, it's an interesting experience, but I think if you love having that tactile physical uh, keyboard, then you don't really have a, a whole lot of choice out there in the market. There are very few Android uh, handsets uh, that, that ever do that, and the ones that do, I think, have traditionally been right at the bottom end of the market. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's a nice little uh, nice little refresh. You get a, a pretty reasonable battery life out of the BlackBerry. Uh, still, it's a smaller screen and it, it's square at about three point five inches. Uh, so watching yeah some content on it can can be a bit of a strange experience on a square screen because uh, you can't just sort of spin your screen around <laughs> the other way to make it bigger. Uh, but you know overall. Hey, it's um, it keeps Blackberry sort of in the game. My my uh, my, I guess question is, um, will this be the last Blackberry that gets launched into the into the New Zealand market? You know, well, how, how long can they keep going? Because there is certainly going to be an ongoing sort of demand and government and you know places they, that are really they are moving the themselves into
0: right? a, into a software field more so than a hardware field now. But um, but it is still pretty cool to see a classic come out. Uh, it is kind of like getting an old Apple Mac 2 um, in 2015, uh, upgraded. But, um, look, seriously, if you're, if you're a BlackBerry fan, uh, th- this is the thing for you. Um, where, what were those Nokia phones that were so uh, bejeweled and uh, they, they had a brand brand out that were being sold in, in high-dollar stores? Kind oh, of the niche of, market. Uh... Uh, vir- uh, yeah, virtue. 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 virtue, virtue,
1: yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe this is the, the the modern day version of that. Maybe so, maybe so. So, but it, I mean, it's I guess it you know it's nice for those users that they haven't actually dropped off the they haven't dropped off the planet because they haven't done particularly well sort of financially in in recent years. Uh, but you know, I think you know as has been you know well sort of predicted. Uh, very hard for them to get back in the game, to have the sort of dominance that they, uh, that they did have going back, uh, You know, I guess, uh, yeah, 10 years or so. I'd, I'd like um, to coin that, a phrase
0: think. that uh, a friend of ours, Mr. Bill Bennett, wrote, and recently it's the steampunk of smartphones. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes, love it, cool. love it. Uh, now, uh, local company uh, Catalyst have started offering uh, a range of... They've they've basically established a local uh, hosting service in terms of a local uh, open source cloud that uh, they've set up to compete with some of the other uh, other providers that have been, you know, well established. Some of the other bigger players, uh, and compete to some degree with some of the international offerings. Although very, very hard to do so on price, uh, competing with providers like uh, Amazon and and Microsoft and so on, who are, you know, very, very aggressive in terms of their uh, their their pricing. Um, what what do you see, Steve, as the um, you know the the sort of companies that would be looking at utilising? Um, you know, this, this service from Catalyst which um, they've launched from their uh, Porirua uh, data centre well th- these these are companies that I believe that, that have uh,
0: certain mandates to make sure that their sovereign data is kept on New Zealand soil uh, perfect customer for Catalyst straight away um, so immediately you can open up to government agencies uh, certain uh, local bodies and people like that that need that kind of su- uh, server grunt uh, in the cloud, in a secure environment, with reasonable pricing. And looking at the price list of what Catalyst to put up there, it is actually quite reasonable to run a few servers. Uh, you're not going to break the bank. And it's much cheaper than owning the tin and opening up a room with your own air conditioning and a guy to go and support it. So uh, so certainly it's, it's, a, it's a viable um, cloud offering here in New Zealand on our soil um, that will work quite nicely.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting that you know this area is still growing. I wondered you when know, when things would sort of start, you know the curve would start uh you know dipping dipping off a little bit because we've had uh, really just in the last year uh, Amazon and Microsoft move into the Australian uh, market, and so it's much much closer to home to get access to international uh servers international cloud offerings. Uh, yet here we are and we're continuing to see that, uh, that local growth. So how much longer can it run for?
0: I, I think the local growth scenario is, is more a byproduct of building up a customer base and becoming attractive to those bigger guys down the track. Maybe that's their strategy, who knows? But the bottom line is that there will never, ever be a shortage of demand for this kind of service. It's going to continue to grow. It's growing massively. I mean, look what Apple just did last week. They went and opened up a new $1.7 billion data centre in Europe. Uh, sorry, 1.7 billion euros. Mm. Um, and so, so data centres are always going to be required. Even if you look at, at, at new service providers locally here that actually need service on land, on a local connection, making it work really well. Uh, Sky TV, for instance, with their new service that we're going to talk about soon. Uh, they need that kind of capacity here locally, not sitting in Sydney
1: yep no that's uh, that's a fair comment, and you know I think that uh, that catalyst have have taken the approach of utilizing uh, OpenStack, which is uh, you know a, a, an open source sort of tool set that that HP and a whole lot of you know, i mean there are so many that are on board uh, with OpenStack that they 've taken that approach uh, it makes it very accessible i think to a, a pretty large customer base doesn 't it yes indeed so look um, uh,
0: from a personal level I wish them Really well, and uh, certainly if they get themselves a good customer base, they're
1: going to certainly get the reward for that down the track when someone knocks on their door. Good, good. Now you uh, you you alluded to a uh, a particular uh, service there, Neon <laughs> Neon, neon T V from <laughs> uh, from from
0: Sky. Sky TV have launched their new uh, subscription video on demand service, uh, due to be launched last December, and uh, really we've only just seen the light of it in the last few days. Uh, so we had a bit of a play around with it before, and uh, it looked really good.
1: Yeah, I think they've uh, you know it was pretty disappointing how long they took to come to market, and that you know you would you would think they could move along a little bit quicker. Uh, but what they're, what they're actually showing off for their uh, $20 a month subscription uh, looks reasonably slick, actually, and there's a fair chunk of content in there, and I guess that wasn't too much of a surprise, because we know Sky have owned the rights to a large amount of content for a long time. In fact, uh, you know this is having some impact on some of the other providers that have come in with uh, subscription video on-demand services, uh, the likes of QuickFlix. Uh, we've got Netflix about to launch uh, next month, uh, Lightbox. Um, you know, all of those are, are impacted by the agreements that Sky's a, Sky has had in place uh, for broadcast, and, of course, they're able to take advantage of that by launching their own uh, subscription video on-demand service.
0: So so let's let's just look at that in a broad sense for a second. Apple TV. Most customers go and generally try and look at something to bypass it or use the local service, which is, you know, it's there, but that seems to be a default kind of interface. So what I saw with Neon tonight was an Apple-esque interface that was really cool. The rollover, the categories, uh, the instantaneous push-the-button-and-it-starts, um, and, and it really looked nice. So I believe that the delay was worth it if they were looking at those teething problems not being quite ironed out, because you wouldn't want us talking about how bad the service is on this podcast because I'm telling you what I saw, it was brilliant.
1: Mm. And we've certainly had issues with some of the Sky offerings in the past. Well, uh, I, you know, I, it's, yeah. it's fair to say. And one of the first things that we tested uh, was something that we were quite surprised by with one of their competitors with Spark's uh, Lightbox. When, uh, when Lightbox launched, you could start watching a, a, a TV program that was uh, within their, you know, their content set, and you could come back later... And you would expect it to be able to continue where you left off, like you know, even even an old DVD player can do that. And it didn't. Um, You know, some of those things that I I wondered, you know, where where they would be sort of along the track. Usability one hundred and one got that stuff right, haven't they? So they've thought about um, it. It's 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 quite pleasing. I uh, I must admit, I was surprised. Now we're we're told that uh, they're not HD yet. uh, That you know, we've got a little bit of uh, a wait in terms of. uh, getting the higher definition content, but uh, what we flicked up just on—and admittedly, it's a smaller uh, screen there on a 4K screen—was uh, was looking yeah you know, looking pretty good, and I guess. If you've got it on a bigger TV, it, it might not be such an experience.
0: Well, look, the HD content at the end of the day will, will be there. It's just a matter of how much bandwidth. Maybe they should be talking to Catalyst. Um, but how much bandwidth are going to stick on servers and, and, and how many customers are going to, to, to roll onto that? Uh, I'm sure that the plan is there to really make a great experience happen, not a, a, a mediocre one. Right now, though, they've got what they've got and they've come out of the blocks pretty well. The thing I do like about it is that they've got the other apps that are surrounding it. And in the near term, you'll, um, I think already you can play it uh, straight away off your iPad onto your Apple TV.
1: Um, yeah, you your can TV. use AirPlay to push it out. You can uh, yep. you know, use it through your, your browser. It's coming for... Uh... For Android shortly, uh, they've mentioned Xbox 360, so it is going to roll out through more more platforms. Uh, but that is always a challenge to start with if it's not available broadly. And that's really the strong position that Netflix will be in when they come out of the gates next month. Uh, you know, I imagine they're going to have a, a reasonable amount of content. Although it, you know, it looks as though they've, they've certainly got a uh, you know a bunch of areas where they're going to fall short. You know, certainly compared to the US offering, which is uh, is is, is, yeah, is really pretty good.
0: It's it's going to get into such a competitive space. I believe that customers are going to expect this free as part of their subscription to Sky TV. As part of the reason why you keep that set top box on there is oh, by the way, we're going to give this to you free. Mm.
1: And I think they're doing that, aren't they? They give it away free if you're uh, if you've got a Sky TV subscription. And my recollection is that. Uh, and I don't have Sky myself at the moment. Uh, I've ditched Sky, uh, but John Fallon will be calling
0: you shortly. Uh, watch out. Uh,
1: that you will be able to uh, actually get access uh, to the on-demand content through your your Sky box by connecting that to the internet as well.
0: Hey, so that was something else that was really interesting. Um, so we were in nowhere near uh, a TV during a meeting, and one of the one of my colleagues decided to watch the cricket. And yes. if it wasn't for his SkyGo um, subscription. We were goosed, or should I say he was. <laughs> and so, so you know, these kind of digital offerings from the broadcasters are brilliant and, and they're working well. So um, it kind of reminds me of, of the video revolution of the 80s and 90s where there was a video store in every corner and they were competing for the dollar and mm. um, selling popcorn and stuff like that. But uh, I, I suspect we're going to see the same kind of scramble for your eyeballs um,
1: using the various devices and the content offerings. But the content is king. At the end of the day, absolutely, and uh, you know that's, I guess one of the you know one of the challenges for those without deep pockets is uh, you know is really how to keep that uh, you know, that great content coming through. And you know, it's it's gonna be I think it's gonna be an interesting fight between them and to see how much money they throw into the New Zealand market and uh, you know, who stays around long term as well. Yeah, you know, I think Netflix is is pretty much a given. Yeah, you know, they've got a huge uh, amount of investment behind them, they're their yeah, share market listed of course and doing very strongly uh, in in the US uh, and you know, their their pockets are deep enough to be out producing their own content. Uh, so they're around to stay. It really will be just interesting to see who are the other players that uh, that can stick it out long-term.
0: You've made me actually just think of something that's really important to kind of add right here. With all this competition that's about to arrive, one of the last things that you want to do is the same thing that happened many years ago with Dial-Up Hell. This is where you've got a really bad broadband connection coming into your house. And there's enough UFB or, you know, fibre broadband now rolling out around the country. In fact, there was some news article on the weekend about um, how few people have taken it up. And it's about the same price as what you're probably paying for right now for your ADSL connection or your VDSL connection. Um, My absolute certainty is that if you've got fibre running past your house, tap your ISP on the shoulder and ask them to connect the fibre. Because the experience... Is what you're going to get when you start subscribing to these things you 'll be frustrated like anything if you're
1: running on ADSL Well, if you're running on a slow ADSL yeah so um, yeah and and VDSL does a pretty good job, uh, but certainly if you wanted to get up into those higher definitions and of course Netflix will offer the 4k or the ultra high definition, and to get that you you must be on a reasonably fast VDSL connection. Or an ultra fast broadband and uh, you yeah, certainly if you can get the ultra fast broadband as orcon were pointing out um, it 's well worth jumping on rather than uh, you know rather than sitting back and you know there has been a bit of a perception uh, for according to uh, according to the survey they 've done uh, that uh, yeah people just don't don 't realize actually it's uh, uh, not a big deal to uh, to make that uh, to make that transition um, yeah, there have been challenges though, and I've certainly come across a few of them around getting the install done. But uh, I guess the point is, uh, you know, while the installs are 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 available uh, effectively for free, and you know they're costing they're costing. Uh, they're costing uh, well they're subsidized, you know, they've been subsidized by the government. Um I think their their average figure chorus just announced yesterday was it's costing them about thirteen hundred and fifty dollars to connect a home. So I would uh, I'd be taking advantage of that wow, if, uh, a 30 year if, payback. if, if ultra fast broadband <laughs> was running past my door. So uh um but you know the, the, the uh the benefits that uh, that fiber will, will bring uh, to new zealand will be uh, will be fantastic over time for uh for businesses and i and i think you know and just in terms of that uh, that lifestyle aspect it's uh, it's well worth getting totally now um and that was the other bit where, where chorus have been uh, um, they highlighted in their um, their results uh, to the share market yesterday uh that they have fallen behind actually because what they 've seen a real uh you know up Upturn in interest in ultra fast broadband, so uh, if we look back a, a year ago um, we weren 't seeing a, you know a huge number of people and especially if we look back two years a huge number of people jumping on the ultra fast broadband uh, wagon after it had come past their uh, their house and what we 're now seeing is that that 's increasing quite rapidly. Uh, so I think the uh, the the last figure I looked at uh, there was nine uh, yeah, percent of people that have it past their house are uh, jumping on board and we're seeing uh, much higher figures in uh, in some areas so some you know some quite strong uptake and uh, that's making it hard for chorus who are, have to roll it out in a um, yeah a large portion of New Zealand. Um, to actually keep up, which uh, I, you know, I guess it's a good problem to have. Except uh, if they don't keep up, they potentially risk some fines from uh, from crown <laughs> fibre. So uh, they'll be working hard, no doubt, to uh, make sure they meet their uh, uh, their commitments there going forward.
0: Yeah, and I, I think they've got everyone available that knows how to connect fibre up out there on the street right now, doing it as fast as they can.
1: Mm. So, uh, but yeah, if you've hit one of those frustrating situations with uh, with, with getting it in. Um, in my experience, it does it does get there in the end. And the complexities tend to be around things where they've got to go out and get a resource consent or there's a shared driveway and they've got to get approval from everyone who uh, who shares that driveway. Uh, certainly complexities around getting into sort of multi-dwelling units, those you know, large uh, apartment buildings and, and, and business blocks. And <laughs> I'll so indulge on. you with
0: a very, very quick story. A, a, a civil engineer friend of mine is... Uh, Um, overseeing a project at the moment on behalf of a building owner who has requested that Corus replace their entire car park for a small tiny bit of asphalt that they're going to be cutting so these are the kind of frustrations
1: that Corus have to put up right right oh yeah well I can I can imagine that they can't necessarily uh, uh, say yes to all those sorts of requests right (laughs) so uh, it's a it's a bit of a balance for them but uh, yeah once it's in uh, it's happiness, and I, you know, I guess there was a time when uh, phone lines were put into homes and power was put into homes. But, you know, uh, before that, and you know, we, we've got a similar sort of multi-year uh, project on here, haven't we? Yep. Right Indeed. now, Steve, tell us about Tommy's own. It's been uh, been a little while since you and I. Uh, Uh, Caught up, but you've had some pretty interesting things going on behind the scenes, and uh, I'm keen to uh, keen to hear.
0: Oh well, very briefly, head down, tail up. Around about uh, July, August last year, I decided uh, with my business partner Philip Joe to head down the path of listing and uh, listing the company um, on a stock exchange. And uh, primarily because we're now looking at a window of Wi-Fi explosion around here. Thanks to everybody buying smartphones and tablets and turning up to venues where everyone expects Wi-Fi, we've just seen a massive, massive demand that is very overwhelming for the industry, but more so overwhelming for for us. Um, So we need to gas up for that. And so to do that, we, uh, we decided um, that we'd look for a uh, listing vehicle or a, a, an investment vehicle, mm. and uh, we found one. We found one in Australia. We made an announcement uh, early in February uh, with a company called PHW in, uh, in Australia. And uh, so we are basically planning to launch a prospectus around about uh, mid-March and be on the Australian Stock Exchange by, uh, by mid-April. Wow, that's, and,
1: uh, that's pretty exciting. That's not far off.
0: Yeah, so it's been a lot of work to get here. But uh, at the same time, our customers are just being overwhelmed with, with wanting better Wi-Fi. And mm. their, their consumers are screaming out for it left, right and centre. And so that means we have to actually form quite an interesting team. And uh, so today we, um, we, we also announced that uh, uh, one of the top um, gurus, I, I'd like to call him, Uh, of Wi-Fi. He's a technologist and a Wi-Fi expert by the name of uh, Shadi Mahasal, who uh, was the product director, if you like, of Skype Wi-Fi up in London. Oh, wow. um, Has joined our global advisory committee, so uh, we made that announcement today. Uh, We've got a few other things um, on the way, but essentially Wi-Fi is happening in such an explosive rate right now around the world, and uh, we've barely scratched the surface.
1: Right, so and you've got all sorts of partnerships. I mean, you, you're, um, your your services and you know everywhere from the airport to councils to libraries, and you've got those international agreements in place with uh, with Skype and their Wi Fi service. You've got uh, quite a few things going on around the place. Yeah,
0: so, so we've got a good roaming agreement with Skype, so their customers can use our Wi Fi network and 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 customers' networks like that. We uh, we operate the software primarily. We're a software company, and and that's pretty important to understand there, Paul, because. Um, you know, you can launch any kind of Wi-Fi service on it with your brand, uh, but you need the engine to to actually do it. And, and it's about consumer delight and uh, really making people have what we've coined "amazing Wi-Fi experiences." So that's a combination of really, really good software, hardware, and really good services that sit across the top. So. Uh, this this year is going to be very busy in making sure that we've we've got amazing Wi-Fi experiences with those three things: the software, the hardware, and the services that we put behind it.
1: Excellent. Now, I have got a question: Is it getting harder to make money out of Wi-Fi because you know, as as consumers, we get used to the fact that there's you know free Wi-Fi around the place, uh, or is it just that the the cost of that Wi-Fi is moving so instead of uh, as a customer that I have to, you know, pay to use Wi Fi somewhere, maybe that cost moves to the cafe, to the restaurant, to the airport, etc. Sponsored I mean, Wi Fi is where it's at. Yeah. So there's, still, there's still good money to be made, it's but it's but it's it's repositioned how it yes. is and I guess it's a a much bigger market? Yeah, if you, look at, uh, if you look at the
0: services side of the business, it's about making sure that you've got a really good managed service Wi-Fi. I mean, Auckland Airport operate our system in the back of it, and, uh, and, and it really helps them to just make money out of that. They offer some portion free, and then they, they ask customers to pay for it. And so it's, it's quite a good uh, balance. That seems to be a bit of a global standard for, for airports, whereas a, a cafe wants to drive loyalty. A hotel wants to offer free Wi-Fi, and they want to offer really good um, internet connectivity uh, for their guests, so as a managed service that 's where that 's where the gold is
1: right now one of the uh, area i 'd like to chat about uh, is zamato now we were talking about this uh, before we, before we jumped in yes and uh you, your your comment uh, we were talking around the fact that that Zamato, which is a, a restaurant uh, discovery app available on on you know the major mobile platforms um, you know, ios android windows phone not sure about blackberry but they 've got a, they've got web access as well um, is moving to a a sort of a cashless capability so uh, you don't have to be carrying uh, carrying you know cash to to maybe order some takeaways or uh, um, dine out.
0: Well, this is this is the interesting thing because um, if you if you look at the way that Zomato and Yelp compete with each other, crowdsourced reviews and restaurant finding and things like that, you know. Zomato have 331,000 restaurants in 19 countries that they, they've got on their system. In New Zealand, uh, basically every major town and city has, has got some Zomato representation. Their business model is quite simple. Uh, as a restaurateur, you pay them some money and they put up your content um, into their User base and their user base comes and uses you. But to close the loop, what they've also done is a frictionless payment mechanism. Now, uh, the restaurateur that I was speaking to today, who went to last night's function held by Zamato, was talking about, well, it's interesting that we get the payment mechanism, but what's really interesting is that we get some profile information about who you are as a diner. And so that's where I think you're going to
1: see a lot of that kind of stuff. It's kind of like the Uber for. Eating out. Mm. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it, yeah. in, in, the, in those regards? You drop your credit card details in and then uh, then all, then away you go. You... Well, then you've got um, sector-specific loyalty
0: programs starting to push through um, as opposed to the, the bank card ones that you usually get on Visa or whatever uh, or your Airpoints. Mm. Um, so so with having restaurant rewards on your Zomato um, app that has got your credit card number in the background, which you get your Airpoints from anyway, uh, you start getting some other interesting rewards but you're happy to give away a little bit of information to the restaurant and so maybe next time they'll greet you and say hi Paul welcome along
1: to Crab Shack and off you go mm, so mm. yeah it's, it's they've, interesting they've got quite a fascinating story uh, I spoke with one of the founders uh, maybe 18 months ago and we recorded a podcast now unfortunately there was uh, the environment that uh, that he was in was uh, was just a bit too noisy to, to produce a, uh, you know quality enough content to uh, to publish but it was It was interesting hearing the story of how they started up, and you know, we don 't hear a huge of a huge number of Indian uh, tech startups that really take on the world, um, but Zomato is one of them that have uh, they've been well funded out of uh, uh, out of the, out of Silicon valley uh, and uh, they 've been very aggressive in their in their growth and uh, you know when they launched here in in New Zealand, which yeah you know, as I say probably in the twelve to eighteen months ago uh time frame. Um, you know, from that that time to now, they've moved very, very quickly into into the market, and uh, they they've well, really owned it.
0: Yeah, I, I challenge you just on your earlier statement that we haven't seen a lot of Indian startups come out and um, around the world. I agree. Probably in New Zealand, we we don't see as many, but mm. globally, I've seen many. Uh, you know, in New Zealand, we've probably been in the industry exposed to Tech Mahindra. Uh, and, and companies such as that, but mm-hmm. as an app company, yeah, you're right. Uh, Zomato is something out of the bag. Um, 113 million dollars, I think, uh, has been you know poured into the guys um, as far as funding so far, and uh, and you know their their recent valuation sitting at 660 million versus 3.4 billion for Yelp. But hey. There's a lot more people sitting in India than there are in the USA, so you can see where this is this is really heading.
1: Well, and they're and they're doing things very differently to uh, yeah to Yelp from what I can see, and, and Yelp hasn't had too much of uh, I know I would say not a huge amount of success within the New Zealand market, uh, especially compared to you know they they've been quite dominant in the US. Um, but you know, I, I think Zomato are probably going to uh, move quite quickly now with the US since their, their recent acquisition up there, uh, Urban Spoon. Um, I would I would say that they will probably surpass um, Yelp. And, and, you know, work, and good on them because if, them if, if
0: they're starting to give progressive profiling information to the restaurants that they take money from for uploading their content mm. um, and they've got that nice little ecosystem happening, I think that's a great business model and, and, and they will uh, suddenly wake up one day and, and go, wow, we're actually bigger than Yelp. Uh, who knows? It's going to be an interesting market to watch, particularly when it comes to crowdsource reviews, which I think was another thing that I read uh, recently is that someone said that no one's qualified to really write reviews, and, and how can someone eat 20 restaurant meals a, a week and, and put up 20 reviews a week? I mean, yeah, I agree with that comment, but everyone in this in this world is qualified to review a restaurant to a degree as long as they're fair. Uh, if they've got a gripe, then, then, yeah, you know, it's like TripAdvisor. People don't Read those reviews that are extremely negative because they know that they're just having a, a bit of a, a, a gripe, but um, look these crowdsourced um, uh, review sites are really putting in good business models to monetize your review, monetize the value of you to the restaurateur, and it's a great ecosystem they're, mm. they're doing a great job
1: no absolutely um, very very pleasing to uh, yeah to, to see them move along so quickly and, and do so well uh, well I think that's it for us this week so uh, thank you very much Steve for, for joining me thank you Paul now where do we find you uh, where do we find you online you're on Twitter uh, of course yeah
0: t- Twitter's been a little bit quiet because my head's been down writing a lot of the prospectus stuff so uh, you'll find me on Twitter at um, at Simsie, Uh and uh, certainly you'll you'll easily contact me um through <laughs> uh
1: tommy's own mm. excellent excellent well thanks for that and thanks everyone for listening in you can uh, you can catch us online at uh, nztechpodcast.com uh you can find more podcasts to listen to at uh, podcast.co.nz uh, and you can find me on twitter at paul spain thanks everyone for listening see ya the new zealand tech podcast brought to you by vector communications data networks built for business.